Welcome back to the Notation Podcast. This is our eighth episode, and I'm Neha, your host, joined by... David. Oh, and hi, I'm Kiara. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about CRISPR and gene editing, and I felt that the word for this episode to define would be disease. And so, I mean, everyone has heard about the word, but how does a dictionary define the word disease? Um, It is, and I quote, a disorder of structure or function in a human animal or plant, especially one that produces specific signs or symptoms or that affects a specific location and is not simply a direct result of physical injury. So probably the definition that you'd expect. And I think the main sought out result for CRISPR is disease treatment. So it's important to understand what disease is. And I'll be talking about that later on in this episode. But for now, David, would you like to give us an introduction on how CRISPR works? Although I'm sure most people have heard of it already. So, oh, funnily enough, this is all coming by the way from a Harvard.edu website. You know, gotta make sure our sources are trustworthy. All that CRISPR is in action, like where we got it from, is just the bacterial immune system. And so, it, but it is a very special one because we found numerous adaptations for research and medical science. So, first, funnily enough, step one is ad- called adaptation, and that's when the DNA from an virus, we all know what a virus is, right? Is processed into short segments and is inserted into a CRISPR sequence. Oh yeah, probably should say what CRISPR actually stands for because it is an acronym. So what CRISPR stands for is clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeat. And basically means that if you read it like we do left to right or right to left, you'll get the same thing. That's what the palindrome means. It is short, regularly interspaced, clustered, and it's a repeat. Fun. So that's what step. So back to steps of CRISPR. DNA is processed into short segments as inserted into the sequence. And then the RNA for CRISPR is produced. And it's RNA, so it's single chain. And then it's cut into short parts. That RNA that is transcribed into CRISPR RNAs. And then the RNAs guide the molecular, the molecules, the special proteins that this to then the CRISPR RNAs, they just guide the molecular machinery, the proteins, to destroy the viral material and learn from it. And that's what CRISPR is. Okay, Kiara, do you want to talk about, you know, why we're using CRISPR? Yeah, sure. I can talk a bit about that. Um, so according to a bit of uh, information from labbiotech.eu, um, some of the benefits to using CRISPR over other genome editing tools is that the CRISPR system can modify DNA with greater precision, and it also is more inexpensive compared to some of the other technologies out there. And it also has a potential of simultaneous multiple loci editing, which makes the technology also easier and more efficient. Um, as to some of the uses that CRISPR has been used for, it's been used for in studying cancer, uh, for example, specifically metastasis. So using CRISPR, we can kind of make small cuts into the cell each time it metastasizes, and we can be able to track down the cancer cells that way. Um, it's also been being used in clinical trials for different uses against cancer. So for example, it's been used a lot against T cells in immunotherapy treatment. And it's able to sort of remove the some smaller genes that may try to interfere or limit the cell's ability to 
kill the cancer. And the CRISPR has also been used in certain genetic disorders such as sickle cell disease. And so the FDA has enabled some of the first human tests of CRISPR-based therapy. And specifically for sickle cell disease, it is able to trying to find the correct, uh, the mutation in the beta-globin gene, which is responsible for sickle cell gene disease. And another, other trials have also focused more on suppressing the fetal hemoglobin gene, which is normally turned off in humans, which may help with symptoms of sickle cell disease. And one other disorder that CRISPR has been used against is a liver disease known as transthyretin amyloidosis. And it has been used in patients such as in an NPR podcast, they talk about Patrick Doherty and he contracted this illness, but he was able to, what's the word? <laughs> he was able to um, feel a bit better after CRISPR treatment. And yeah. Okay. So I think the benefits of CRISPR are kind of undeniable. It seems like um, it's a really like novel technique but there are risks that are associated with it. David, do you want to speak about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, they're as good as CRISPR is, and as much as I am an advocate for science moving forward, we do, I do also advocate for risks being thoroughly examined. As this article that I researched for this episode indicates, CRISPR can go horribly wrong. Now, so what happened was a Colombian researcher was trying to see if they could correct some embryo mistakes, like live human embryos, very fun. And so they got four embryos and used CRISPR to add one uh, nucleotide to, to the genome to make sure that baby is not born blind because the sperm cells that were used for the embryos were harvested from a blind man. And they th and they found out that he was missing a nucleotide. And that's all they wanted to do was add that nucleotide, fix the mutation, get a healthy child. But as it turns out, instead of fixing the problem, and they tried to, insert, to fix it at various stages, like uh, when it was fertilized and later, like all different stages, all four embryos were found to have the entire chromosome with the gene missing. And as the scientist said, yeah, that embryo is doomed. And I think also the scientist is in jail now and he's internationally scorned. So what this is an example of is off-target gen genome editing. And what that is, is basically when we try to modify one thing, but end up with a completely different thing and it can cause harm. And I think it usually does. Yeah, that reminds me of another CRISPR case. I think I had written about it in Sigma, which is, um, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm going to spell it. It's H-E is the first name, space J-I-A-N-K-U-I. And he's a Chinese researcher. Um, and he attempted to delete this CCR5 gene, which is on the third chromosome, in order to reduce the risk of getting HIV. And he did this to like two twin girls. Um, in China, but at their like embryonic stage where the father was HIV positive and the mother was not. And he believed that they didn't have the CCR5 genes and like the proteins needed by HIV wouldn't be produced. Um, and then that pr would protect um, their T cells. 
but it actually led to, I think, one girl having one of the CCR5 chromosomes and the other girl having neither of them. So it was only like partially successful, if you would even call it successful. Um, but like the change to that specific gene resulted in like the production of a non-functional protein, like a protein that no one has ever seen before. So I think that goes to show like, oh, the unintended consequences and the long-term side effects that we're not really sure of that can result from CRISPR. And then I think you also have to think of like germline mutations and like, will this pass down to your children? Like these unwanted um, mutations that result from CRISPR. Um, and there were other like ethical concerns with um, this specific researcher's experiments, like the way he went about like, um, like notifying the parents of exactly what was going on was a little bit blurry. So in that case, um, he was also sort of scorned by the public. Um, but you know, with China, they are like pretty advanced. So in this case, it like, it seemed that he was trying to like sort of get ahead of himself. But again, you have to take a step back and think about um, the other consequences that this might have. And I think he might have served time in jail or like his, he has like a trial that's upcoming. Um, but the twins for now, like I think their identities are like being withheld from the public. But I think that is like an interesting result from CRISPR. Um, something else that I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, so I just think it's like dangerous to edit on embryos. Like we are pretty far from that being successful. Um, so I don't want to like throw all, all this information out there making you think that like, oh, there are babies that are being edited on right now. But I do want to talk about like the ethical arguments against CRISPR, which I think is something that a lot of people like to talk about. And the one thing that I think is pretty popular is like eugenics or like a, a reason why people are against CRISPR is eugenics. And that's like the selection for desirable traits within a population. And due to um, the Human Genome Project, we are able to determine what genes like contribute to certain um, hair colors or eye colors and like what proteins they produce that change that, you know, including like weight gain or weight loss or genes that contribute to that. And there's no doubt in my mind that CRISPR will be used to alter these genes in the future. And like, I think it is like a very like profitable business. It is something that people will consider looking into. And I do want to sort of tie this to like, we already have a very large and like growing plastic surgery industry that like preys heavily on the insecurities of people um especially those who don't fit into a certain beauty standard like oh people want like a smaller nose a sloped nose colorful eyes and i remember like watching a video or hearing something about how um, plastic surgery widens the gap between the rich and the poor you know those who can afford plastic surgery will, you know, alter themselves to have like these desirable physical traits that will, you know, be of some advantage to them in the future. And I think the same could be a result of CRISPR and that what makes it that's what makes it so like profitable. But I don't know, I just think it's something to consider. It's also much more dangerous. I mean, plastic surgery in itself is dangerous, but CRISPR is like another level of like internal like gene editing. Um, but I think that's sort of like the cosmetic side to CRISPR. I also want to talk about sort of going back to what I said at the very beginning about the definition of disease, but I am like thinking in the perspective of a parent, I'm not a parent, but you know, if I was one and I was thinking about my own child who was going to suffer from a disease, like if I could prevent that and you know, if I had to take a chance, would I, and I think I probably would, if I knew my child was going to suffer. But again, it is not that safe for embryos yet. And a lot of changes, you know, that would cure certain diseases or prevent certain diseases need to happen during the embryonic stage. Like once they're fully developed, CRISPR might not be as effective. Um, 
but then there's an the argument that some, you know, genetic mutation shouldn't be considered a disease. And like, why would you need to like cure something like that? And so one example that I can think of is autism. Um, and there are a lot of articles that talk about autism, sorry, CRISPR being used to like, quote, quote, cure autism, but not every person views that as something to be cured. Not everyone views that, that as like disadvan disadvantageous. In some cases, autism can be advantageous. Like it, like, I think like, or information is organized in the brain better under some certain cases. So I don't feel like everything needs to be changed. Everything needs to be altered to be like the normal standard. And especially again, if some people cannot afford it, those people with these certain diseases or with these certain disorders will be ostracized and will be like treated differently in the public eye. Yeah. So, um, I just want to talk about a very popular sci-fi franchise. We all might have heard of it. Star Trek, right? We all heard of it, right? And so gene edit, like this whole process of changing your genome is taking quite literal. It's a big subject there. It was present in the original series and throughout the 90s when this was becoming, this was the hot new science thing. And so by the way, it's this, I will be giving out spoilers for season five of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Just, I don't want to be held responsible. This is your own risk. Okay, that out of the way, spoiler warning. So um, in season five, there is an episode where we find out that our, one of the main characters is modified genetically. Like his parents said that he was developing a little sl more slowly than normal children. And so he was taken to do some illegal genetic modifications because in that world, the genetic modifications are outlawed unless you're using it to correct some serious birth defects, right? That makes sense. Like you would want your kid to be healthier. Well, when this finds out and in the end, we like find out that they, he will be allowed to continue his career because otherwise he will have been banished, not allowed to work in Starfleet. We find out for every, like he was a good guy, but there's this other character. His name is Khan Nguyen Singh. He was a total psychopath. So this is a, my so this is also like, a, what if we alter you, someone to be like smarter, stronger, basically the ideal human, what if he's a total psycho or something else? And that, again, off-target genome editing is a very big concern. Um, I like it when science fiction reflects in real life. Yeah, Kiara? Oh yeah, I guess like another issue that could like tie into all these ethical arguments would be like the case with Henrietta Lacks and like why transparency is like really important. Like, I guess, like, I can give a quick recap, like, when Henrietta Lacks, she had to go in for, I forget, like, which specific surgery, I think she had, like, a cancer issue, so, but the doctor took a sample of some of her cells, and then without, like, asking for her permission, he sort of did ex run experiments with her cells and found out that they were able to sort of regenerate themselves in a way, so now they're known as, like, the Hella cells, and he sort of sent samples to, like, different laboratories and to other people that he knew and then pretty soon without the family's permission they begin to sell yeah cervical cancer i think was the cancer he began to like sell the um cells to different laboratories and things like that and it sort of became a commodity so like even today the family is still trying to figure out how much of it how much uh how transparent this really was for them how much of the um, profit should they be getting? How much of the recognition should they be getting? So I guess like if doctors today were to use CRISPR to sort of like correct quote unquote diseases or like try to see 
if using CRISPR can like fit, like fix certain traits or things like that. I think it really needs to come down to being transparent with the people they're going to test these things on. And then like, if it becomes a commodity and if they start, if it's approved to be like sold or used to other people in the future, um, like how transparent should we be to those people? And what should we do from going on from there? So uh, another thing about Henrietta Locks, not only was her privacy stolen, the family is still trying to fight. First of all, they were not even made existent. Uh, the fact like they only made existent like five years later after this whole thing was done. So that's just ridiculous. Also, she was African-American, which is like hypothetical. Well, she was a white woman. Would, this same thing, would the doctor have notified her? Like hypothetical, what do you guys think? If she was white instead of black um i i don't i don't believe it would have happened i think there would have been more of like transparency like i think um the doctor who had taken the biopsy of her womb hold on i remember writing about it Do dr george otto g e y gay i guess that's how i'd pronounce it um I think there would have been more transparency if she was a white woman I and mean, there probably would have been a lot more questions like from her family members or whatnot. Um, and she probably would have gotten recognition a lot faster, even if it if it did had happen. Yeah, that's what I think. Oh, yeah, I agree. I feel like um, the if she was a white woman, it would have been like more transparent. And I guess like that just comes down to just be like, depending on like, uh, things like that, it just like, really alters the transparency of the situation also another thing she also died due to the cancer what if she has survived another hypothetical what if she survived from the cancer what if through some miracle they were managed to cure her would the they have been transparent then I, I mean, I, so. I mean, I think it's hard to say because it is like a hypothetical situation, but I still think it would have been a struggle to get her any sort of recognition, even if she did like did survive. I feel like they also might have like tried to like, keep it away from her. Like they'd be like, oh, congratulations, your cervical cancer was cured. It's not really like showing up again, but they wouldn't like really tell her what they did with her cells afterwards. So that would just make things even more opaque. And she would just like probably continue on her life without knowing what happened to those cells and her family would just not know what happened with her cells either. Yeah, going back to the whole ethics argument, I also wanna talk about it from like an evolutionary standpoint and like getting rid of all these different genetic mutations so that we can all be you know normal and average and we can all live a healthy lifestyle. Like obviously the environment changes throughout time. So like, is getting rid of all these genetic mutations doing us a disservice in the future? I mean, if you take in like biology or like an ev the evolutionary unit in biology, you know that like there is a lot of biodiversity that comes with genetic mutations and these can be advantageous in the future, even if they seem like a disadvantage now. So just something to throw out there. Uh, and one more thing that I wanted to touch upon just because like, the name sort of sounds familiar is GMOs, which is genetically modified organisms. Um, and you've probably heard of it before, like at a supermarket when you're talking about different foods. Um, and it basically like combines like the most desirable traits within an organism. So if you're talking about plant and you're talking about like fruit, 
um, certain genes that you'd want were like resistance to drought, resistance to herbicides, insects, or like the production of a larger fruit, larger organism, whatever, or like a better tasting fruit. Um, and I do want to say like this is not the same as CRISPR, despite it using the word genetically modified, because this uses um, plasmids, like the insertion of the targeted gene within a plasmid. And plasmids are the circular DNA that are within bacteria because they don't have a nucleus. Um, and then plasmids have the ability to like um, transfer between cells really easily. So that's why they're used within GMOs. So your, your isolated target gene is inserted into a plasmid, which is then inserted into the model organism. And then that organism will grow to express the desired traits, hopefully in the most successful cases. Um, and again, this doesn't directly alter the DNA of the said organism. That's why it's not the same as CRISPR. So I just want to make that distinction. But I'm pretty sure that they are working on like genetically modified organisms using CRISPR, although I don't think they would be called GMOs. They'd probably be given a different name, but that's just something I wanted to bring up. Um, another, another use for GMOs that isn't associated with foods, because that's what everyone, I think, automatically associates it with. It's like fluorescent lighting used in research. Um, I know that m the lab that I had volunteered at was using fluorescence in like fish and mice. So I think that's just another interesting aspect to look at GMOs from. Like it's not just, oh, which like apple is gonna taste better. Um, and, but going back to the whole food debate, there is really not enough evidence to show that GMOs are harmful. The main reason that people stray away from it is because of the unknown long-term side effects that come from GMOs that really haven't been like shown or discussed. So people would just rather be safe than sorry. And I feel like that's sort of similar to CRISPR, you know, not knowing, not understanding the long-term side effects. So kind of assuming the worst or, or assuming um, the most negative things. But yeah, I just wanted to touch upon that. They're not, it's not the same as CRISPR, despite it like using the words genetically modified. But I don't, yeah, yeah, Kiara. Um, I guess like, I'm, in my personal opinion, I feel like GMOs, like, I think it's good that people are, are using them and they're finding ways to make food and other materials beneficial to them. I guess, like, maybe one downside, if they try introducing, like, GMOs to, like, a natural environment, like, over time, we not, might not be sure if GMOs might become an invasive species in that environment, and if they could, like, um, negatively impact the um, biodiversity or the sort of natural balance of that environment. So I guess like as long as GMOs are kind of sort of kept in check and they don't really like have any negative interactions with the environment, I think if we just have to keep monitoring them and see what we can do from here. Uh, yeah, so GMOs relatively new, but so are like our devices that you're probably using to listen to this and that we're using to record them. They're also like relatively new technology, right? Are we all in agreement? And so we also know the full long-term effects of these. And so we're all, this is the same thing. And also want to mention something funny. One time in biology class in freshman year, Dr. Hornstein, the biology chair, he showed, we were actually discussing GMOs and he showed us a video of some of how a guy just ran into a like farmer's market and asked if people are afraid of GMOs and what the whole acronym stood for. Like, I get those videos are edited, like to only show the stupid answers, but those stupid answers were 
they either did know, which was, I think, and I think some people did know, but some people, most people did not know. And I think some even gave like the stupidest answers back. So if you're going to be, I'm just saying, it's like, if you're going to be afraid of something, please research it. Okay. Just please research what you are afraid of. You might find that it is not as harmful as you think. Yeah, no, misinformation spreads really, really fast. I mean, I mean, when you're considering GMOs, again, like I said before, the actual like DNA of the animal, of the animal, no, not not necessarily animal, but also like plant organism, whatever, is not being changed. I know, I mean, it makes me think about like the COVID vaccine and how people said like DNA is going to be inserted into you and you will change as a person. No, it is mRNA. Like that is not going to alter your DNA. It's just going to like produce a certain protein. But it makes me it makes me sad to see all the people talking about how the COVID vaccine is going to alter your DNA. But I do understand also research is hard to interpret. So, you know, do your research, please. That's what we're here to talk about. Um, also, I know in like recent years, there have been a lot of debate on whether food should be labeled as contains GMOs or doesn't contain GMOs because there's like the whole issue of, oh, I want to get um, food that's not like artificially processed. I want to get organic food. I want to get food that's GMO or non-GMO. And I guess like as of now, because there aren't as like a lot of GMO products as there might be in like the future, I think like it, I don't think there's like any harm in putting, oh, by the way, this product has GMOs. But I guess like once again, like in the future, since a lot of these technologies are so recent and like developing, it just goes to show that anything could probably happen in the future. But I just wanted to bring up the issue with labeling as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, I just looked it up. So this is based off of like one Google search, but it says the law requires labeling only on bioengineered foods intended for human consumption that contain more than 5% GMO ingredients. I don't know what 5% GMO ingredients means. Like, how do you measure GMOs in percentages? But hey, there's something, there's, some, there's something there to look at. But it also said instances where GMOs do not have to be labeled include foods de derived from animals, such as eggs, meat, or milk, refined ingredients like oils and sugars, food served in a restaurant, foods manufactured and sold by very small manufacturers, or any non-food products. So... I mean, unless you're extremely, extremely picky about what you eat and you like really are sure that the food you're eating is organic, you've probably consumed some sort of genetically modified organism in your life. You don't have to freak out about it now, um, but you probably have come across and consumed one. Um, I mean, how do you, how do, how does like your family feel about GMOs? Like, I remember a couple of years ago, my parents were really really concerned about the word and like phrasing of gmos and they would like stray far from it from in a restaurant but i don't really see anything labeled as gmos anymore and we kind of just eat whatever well my parents are both pharmacists and judging from their reaction to the covid vaccine and how they're just like we're gonna get it and you're and they told me you're gonna get it and my grandpa was told he's gonna get it, and my sister was told she was gonna get it when it was became eligible Though we did wait a while, like in case of side effects, you know, gotta make sure. And judging, I'm gonna judge it based off that. I say they're okay with GMOs. I mean, we it is relatively harmless. Again, we don't know the long term effects, so 
what from what we do know, it does seem relatively harmless. I would say like the same thing too. Like sometimes we would get like organic products, but I think we're more concerned about like I guess like artificial ingredients and like more synthetic stuff like that. But like when it comes to like I guess GMOs, we get probably like a mix of both of both organic and genetically modified foods. But yeah, I guess like all initial thing I wanted to point out like what you got from that Google search. But I kind of find it interesting that the products they're like mainly concerned about are like I guess it narrows down to like fruits and vegetables. So I'm not really sure why they specifically want to like label those products, but just something interesting I noted. Yeah, I don't know either. Maybe okay, I don't I again, this is off the top of my head, but I guess with fruits and vegetables, it's like the direct thing that you're eating is modified, but like if it's foods derived from animals, it's going to be the animal that's genetically modified to produce an egg, an egg or a, or milk or whatever. So, I mean, maybe there's some sort of like discrepancy there. Maybe that's different. I'm not really sure. David. Also, we've been genetically modifying our food for millennia. Like, yes, what we are calling gemos now is like what well, we're using high-tech science, but selective breeding is technically modifying the genome of a certain species so that it'd be beneficial for us like let's take uh carrots for example we all know them they're like triangle-ish like cone-ish and orange vegetables right we all love eat you know we love them right but they weren't always like that they were many different colors as was corn corn was not always just yellow it was many different colors but over time we selectively chose which ones were the best, and those also happen to correspond with the color. I think carrots were spe specifically bred for the orange color, though that could be my thing. Somewhere I've read of the internet. Don't don't quote me on that. But yeah, we've cho we've modified our food for millennia. Or take watermelons, round, big, and sweet. They were small and bitter, like a few centuries ago. Yeah, I, I just think people get scared when it comes to like, oh, there's scientists doing something in a lab rather than like farmers being like, oh, this certain crop seems to produce better tasting corn. But when you put an image of like people in lab coats with like scary goggles and micropipettes, I think it just scares people into thinking that there's something like deeper going on. Um, yeah. Okay, I think that's a wrap on this episode of Meditation. Um, I think that CRISPR has amazing advantages that can't be denied, but it's important to understand and recognize both the health risks and the ethical concerns of CRISPR because it might just be an inevitable like technology in the future. Um, so you can check out stuyvesantresearchclub.com for more episodes or any other content that the Research Club puts out, like our Sigma magazines, they're amazing. Um, but again, thank you everyone for coming.